Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of On My Mind. I'm Shelley Griffith, and today I am super excited to have a young lady with me that I have literally known all her life. And as a matter of fact, I was officially adopted as her older brother a number of years ago and couldn't be happier with my little sis. Please welcome Katie Bursley. Thank you, Shelley. I'm so pleased to be here. We're tickled to have you today. And folks, you're going to hear a lot of wonderful stuff from Katie about uh, her life and career, things that are very interesting. And uh, you just take it away. Tell us where you were born and family and uh, early childhood and education. Yeah. I uh, was born and raised right here in Athens. I'm a very proud um, Athenian. Um, but as um, I moved away after graduating McMinn County High School, I went to college at Belmont University, got my degree in public relations, and after that, married my high school sweetheart and moved out to Shreveport, Louisiana, where we've been for about 10 years. Now, from college choices, when you were doing the uh, specific choice of a major, mm -hmm. what brought you to that decision and maybe step back a little, mm -hmm. as you were telling me earlier, yeah. because of experiences here in Athens? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I'd like to say that growing up in Athens gave me a lot of confidence. I grew up in the 90s with Dolly Parton and Pat Summit as some strong female role models from our region. Even Margaret Meharry was the first mayor that I remember, and Stella Roberts was the lead pastor at Keith Memorial United Methodist Church where we attended. And so, like I said, I had a lot of strong female role models. But I think more personally, my family had a unique last name. Uh, we were the Seclosis, and so people quickly knew that I was Karen and Dave's daughter. No matter where I went in town, it was very clear who I belonged to. And one of my fondest recurring memories of growing up in Athens was walking from my dad's office to the pharmacy and soda fountain around the corner, Riddle and Wallace. It gave me such confidence as an eight-year-old to be able to go order a BLT, pay for it, and then walk right back to where I was supposed to be. So just having such a loving community around me was a terrific thing. And for my family, a big piece of that was actually the theater, which is where our families intersected. My parents actually met back in 1983 because of local theater and just their musical engagement. And being a theater kid really helped shape the career path I ended up taking eventually. So public relations is not a career path that I knew about prior to going to Belmont, but it just worked so well for my personality and my skill set. Because as a theater kid, I knew how to project. That was very important to my dad, especially. I knew how to play to the audience. But also, really, I found a great love for events. And being a theater kid, you have about 8 to 12 events, depending on what sort of show run you're going to do. But even beyond that, it was getting to know different venues and running in and out of these spaces like the Gym Theater in Etowah, the Athens Junior High, as it was in my time, and just all Tennessee Wesleyan College. They had a great theater there or have a great theater there. And these are all places that really helped shape me and really develop my confidence to move through spaces and figure out what needed to be done and how I could add to it. That's so perfect, Katie, because... I've had the good fortune of watching you and so many other young people go through those steps, and I love Theater Kid. 
the development into your later life. That's perfectly said, and, and we still see that today. And with your beautiful daughter, I guarantee you, that's going to be a theater kid <laughs> the next generation. Yeah. But it's just wonderful. Now, tell the folks where you are now and with the Shreveport area and a couple of the things that you've done there career-wise, which I think are fascinating and fit your personality so well and how you were growing up. Like I said, events always had a strong calling to me. And I loved being able to dream up something that then could bring people together And so I was extremely fortunate to have my first job out of college be at the Petroleum Club of Shreveport. I was hired as the director of catering. And really what that meant is that I helped anyone who wanted to plan an event, talk through what their vision was, and then help them know what the pieces were that we could provide in support to execute that vision. A lot of times that was brides, families that were that had weddings to celebrate, and that was a huge joy for me. But it also extended to class reunions or just different different events, again, that brought people together because food is such a, it can be such a connector. Breaking bread together really can be a bonding experience. And to have a venue that I really helped navigate people through the process of event planning with this beautiful backdrop, beautiful skyline and everything was a big part of it. I felt like I hit the lottery <laughs> right out the gate. I hit the dream job. And that was a bit intimidating in some ways because I went, okay, this was the end goal. Now what's the dream? And so I was there for almost four years and greatly appreciated everything that I got to do and all the clients I got to help in that time. And it was, it really was a joy to, to be able to have that experience and I'm so grateful for Jennifer, who was my very first boss and just really mothered and supported me through that whole experience. But all the staff, too, who said, all right, we're going to do this together and were so kind to me. And that was a wonderful experience to, to get me started. And if I look at it correctly, and my granddaughter is an event planner, mm. wedding coordinator at one yeah. of our local venues, that is a production. It is. So it takes you back with mm-hmm. the skills you had learned. And when it comes off, you just stand back like a proud mama and just say, we did this Absolutely. and it's great. Absolutely. But after you finished with that, mm-hmm. you moved on to a little different scenario. Yes. yes. So I, I knew my time there. I wanted to, I felt a shift happening and I wanted to go back to school to get my MBA. And so I applied to the LSU Shreveport affiliate and got into the program. I felt like I really needed to take a step back from the demanding nights and weekends that the event planning piece required. And so I actually found a position with the local United Way. And I had never thought that fundraising or event or, or that would be an avenue that I would take, but I had some great friends there and some people I really admire who, who worked there. And I said, I think I can do this. And they said, oh, you absolutely can. So I was grateful for their support. And so I, again, was with the United Way for four years and started as a campaign coordinator, but worked my way up to being the director of campaigns and human resources of all things. But again, that's where my MBA kind of took me was down the human resource rabbit hole. 
And I would not have been ready for my next step if it hadn't have been for the United Way and all the experience that I got there. Definitely helped hone my public speaking. Definitely each time I had a campaign presentation, it was its own mini event that I had to make sure all the ducks were in a row for. But it was a tremendous experience, and I'm so proud of what they're doing currently. And the current president of the United Way of Northwest Louisiana is a dear friend, and I'm just so proud of everything Tori's doing over there. And and the fundraising piece of it, I agree, having been on a number of groups over the years since we moved back, that's tough. We all look for that magic moment when the surprise gift comes in, Mm -hmm. and then again, it's usually a day-to-day thing, and then... Your speaking skills are excellent anyway, but you're right. Developing those are amazing. Now, share with the folks where you are now, present uh, situation. Yeah. I am very proudly at the LSU Health Shreveport Foundation. So we support LSU Health Shreveport, not to be confused with LSU Shreveport. So this is the... They're affiliated with the Academic Medical Center, but LSU Health Shreveport has three different schools. They have the medical school that boasts about 150 students per class right now, so about 600 medical students in a given year, along with residents and interns beyond that in the graduate medical education area. There's also the um, School of Research. There's also the School of Allied Health Professions. Mm -hmm. And so they have those three components to LSU Health Shreveport. And as the foundation, we support um, everything that goes on campus. Um, Each one of the departments have funds that donors can contribute to make things easier for the physicians who are educating the next generation. We have scholarships for medical students that just recently started a couple years ago and has been a very successful program. And we have a shiny new building that we're actually about to open very soon. So we're very proud of a lot that goes on campus. And really, at the end of the day, it's all about developing the healthcare system so that piece of infrastructure can be in place so that everyone can thrive. Because that piece of society is just vitally important to making sure everyone has access to health care in an equitable way. Share with me, Katie, the population, kind of Metro mm-hmm. Shreveport is about how many? Metro Shreveport is about 250,000. If you go, I can't remember, I think it's about a three-hour radius or so. It's about half a million And so the service area for emergency flights that have to come in, it certainly is that half million or more that are served by LSU Health Shreveport and our clinical partner, Oshner LSU. And then your staff, as it were, you have about how many people that are working with you in this endeavor? At the foundation, there are 13 of us, if I'm counting correctly. We do have some folks that are part-time, and we actually have one of our faculty at LSU Health Shreveport who is also part of the foundation efforts as well, so that's a neat component. And you you then will still continue what you've been doing through your career, mm-hmm. public mm-hmm. speaking, making people aware mm-hmm. of what the foundation does, mm-hmm. helping, I assume, to put in place fundraising campaigns? Yes. Half of my job, for the most part, is a specific event called an Evening for Healers. Mm -hmm. And at this event, we tell two patient stories every year. 
And part of my job is making sure that nominations are called for and that we can receive those in an organized fashion to then choose which two patient stories do we want to pursue Mm -hmm. for the coming year. And I've had the joy in the last two years of telling four excellent patient stories and then even having a bonus one that I'll tell you about in a minute. But this Evening for Healers started in 2011. Again, it started with patient stories and, and hearing about the care that happened at the hospital and how lives are transformed. So it started as an Evening for Heroes talking about the first responders who meet a patient in one of the lowest points of their lives, really helping them get back to recovery and healing. And I'm really, I'm really impressed with the transformation that happened with this event prior to me arriving. I had nothing to do with this, but I'm very glad to help keep it going. It transformed into an evening for healers a number of years ago. And really, I feel like that was the point at which they stopped taking the patient out of the trauma, but rather taking the patient from the trauma as close to back to normal as you possibly can. And that was not only with the help of the physicians who do incredible work and the nursing teams and respiratory therapists and just the incredible healthcare system that really has to wrap around a patient for them to get the support and get back on their feet the way they need to, but also it, it extended to the allied health professions, to occupational therapy, to physical therapy, and just the entire spectrum of health care that really needs to happen. And again, it has been my absolute joy to be part of this. And if it hadn't been for the Petroleum Club and the experience I had there, if it hadn't have been for United Way of Northwest Louisiana specifically, I would not have been prepared to work for the foundation. And this event boasts raising more than half a million dollars for the Chancellor's Fund for all kinds of flexibility that that he needs in order to make sure that we have top researchers, top faculty members, just excellent student experiences in a number of ways. And so I am extremely proud to bring that to our region and, again, continue that tradition of excellence that was established in this event. What a wonderful service for the entire area and then becoming, sounding to me like, somewhat of a model Mm -hmm. that other places, other foundations could build on as you meet folks from around the country, I'm sure, in some of these meetings. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Now, we're going to segue away from that just a little bit. Let's talk about hubby Mm -hmm. and that wonderful sweet daughter that is now my niece. Uh (laughs) Yes. Talk about that. Like I mentioned, Rob and I have been together since we were freshmen in high school, so a long time. But I'm very proud to say that he is uh, the superintendent of utilities for international paper Mansfield. He has been with them, like I said, for more than a decade. His recruitment to international paper is what brought us out to Shreveport initially. And they have a great program that recruits engineers from all different universities to all of their different facilities. And Shreveport grabbed onto him and has held onto him in in very positive ways. And and really, Shreveport has, has gotten its hooks in both of us. But he's done very well, and I'm grateful that he's been promoted at Mansfield a number of times, which has allowed my career also to flourish. If we had moved around, that might have been a little bit more challenging, but I really have been 
able to establish a very strong community, a strong, and we have established a strong support system for the two of us and for our darling daughter. Maddie is four now and just lights up every room she walks into just about. But when you mentioned the next generation of theater kids, she can't wait. <laughs> she is just itching to get on any stage she comes into contact with. I just can't wait to see how she continues to blossom because that's what we're seeing. The genetics are there, but <laughs> watching her at different times, absolutely. And you, and you get a sense, uh, as you have certainly, as I, working with our local art center for 30-something years and watching your mom and dad and having a chance to be in a production or two with them and mm-hmm. sitting in the booth, which I love, and I see the youngsters, and she definitely is there. Mm-hmm. I don't care where you all mm-hmm. wind up. Yeah, She'll yeah. be there much quicker than you expect, mm-hmm. probably, because theater camps are there and youth choirs and things, but she is a delight to watch. Oh, just, thank you. And you, like I say, you get a sense after a while as an older person that says, whoa, look out, this kid is going to be up there mm-hmm. in no time. Yeah. And they love it. Yeah. And I think... And share a little bit, and I can say this as a a preface to it, the things you learn uh, through life, but what I have looked at from the youngsters with a youth choir, church choir, art center choir, whatever, the things that they learn, what discipline, organization, the good leaders that do all that, and and do you agree that's how you developed as a youngster with those skills? Oh, yes. I definitely remember being part of plays with mom and dad and having to be patient to a certain degree and wait for your moment in the spotlight, if you will. And you were really cheering on your fellow castmates generally to make sure that they felt your encouragement because you wanted that when it was your turn, but really to encourage one another can really elevate a whole production to a whole nother level. And so definitely watching the organization it took to make these productions possible, understanding the discipline and patience that it took, and really listening to the experts in a lot of ways. Because again, I my dad is such a good example of someone who who knows what it takes to be on the stage in particular. He's so comfortable there. And so to listen to him to say, all right, kid, sing from your diaphragm. Don't sing from your throat. Don't sing from your belly. You have to sing from your diaphragm to really get it out there. He knew what he was talking about. Even though he was dad, you still have to listen to him as the expert when it comes to an arena that he is so talented in. There, there are so many things about being a theater kid that really set me up well for later life. Absolutely. And I can say this to those who listen and certainly those who know Dave and Karen. Your mom is the epitome of, of a stage manager. Oh, I should oh. mention that too. Yes. So dad can a lot of times be the front of house face. But mom and her organization backstage, you're, you hit the nail on the head exactly. Her organization really helps a production thrive as well. Even though, again, she can be behind the scenes, it is a true talent that she has to be able to keep everyone in line and all of the props and everything. And I think having been a teacher for 38 years, the teacher voice and the teacher look have served her well too. <laughs> The, the look. The look. First production I think I was in when she did that, and she would just look at me because 
uh, fortunately or otherwise, when I'm backstage, and I haven't been in a lot of productions, folks, but I just love to joke around. That's my basic personality. But boy, when Mom Karen said, stop right now, I need this, pay attention. You've got to do this and this. Buddy, you did it. And it was just fascinating. And then being in a couple of productions <clears throat> with your dad, who has a marvelous voice, the projection, he loves playing those parts. Uh, and it's just wonderful when you do that. And I'm going to segue a little bit away from career and stuff. What do you see from your experiences that that healthcare now, you're in that, and we won't get too deep with this, but uh, I've got another podcast coming in a number of weeks about healthcare in America, but what does Katie see from your standpoint helping do what you're doing for LSU as perhaps a little bit of future developments in healthcare maybe that, that you might see? And I'm not trying to pin yeah. you down as much as you're able to associate now with physicians, nurses, other providers. What are you gathering from conversations about how healthcare might progress and things you can do for oh the gosh. foundation? It's, uh, like I say, I'm not wanting to just dump that on you, but I always love it when somebody's involved yeah. in healthcare in some yeah. way and you're unique yeah. with this foundation. Yeah. But are you getting <clears throat> things from different folks? about how it's looking maybe for the future? So I see a couple of things from my vantage point. Um, the best thing I think that can answer your question is the avenue um, with the foundation that can happen when there's a grateful patient. I see that with the patients who say yes to their stories being told at our Evening for Healers, for instance. There are lots of very capable and talented people. My hope would be that people see a primary care physician on a regular basis so that some of those ailments that can be preempted are at an early stage. But I think in philanthropy, being able to be in a position to say, you grateful patient have a perspective that can feed into what we're doing and what your vision could be, whether that's appreciation for a physical therapist who really helps a patient get their mobility back. Maybe that means there's a piece of equipment that wasn't previously available, but if that patient has the resources or a network um, that can then purchase that equipment, bring that to other folks, and, and then really see tran healthcare transformed in a way, that's a beautiful story to me. That's a beautiful outcome. And we actually saw that with one of our healer stories in 2022. We had a story that we were able to tell about a pregnant mom who came down with COVID at the time. And it was only because of previous philanthropy that they had a portable ECMO machine where they could go to where the, the more isolated hospital where she was that did that wasn't the tier one trauma center like we are for our region to take her out of that situation into a hospital system that had more resources to be able to support her and her developing baby and both of them are thriving today I'm very pleased to say and it was because of the philanthropy that a previous patient had engaged in he said I am doing well. I am grateful to this system. How can I give back? And it truly saved their lives. Wow. 
So that's my vantage point when it comes to healthcare and what what some either trends are or things like that. I'm grateful to be able to walk with people as they're telling these stories because this evening for healers storytelling it is cathartic is the other piece that I've really seen. So not only does it encourage philanthropy in our region, it helps people continue to move back to a healthy and happy place beyond the trauma and release some of that burden that may still be on them. That's wonderful. And I'm sure if it's like many of the stories that I've heard over my long career, it does cause you to have a lot of tears. Oh, sure. It causes laughter. It causes the smiles. And then when you're mentioning that many of the folks that have been healed will turn around and pay it forward as well. That's wonderful Mm -hmm. from that standpoint, just helping others. I have always been a believer, despite the news cycle (laughs) and other things, that the majority of people in America are just doing the best they can. Mm -hmm. They're trying, they do help their neighbors. Mm -hmm. Sadly, as you're well aware, many stories get told that are the other side of the Mm -hmm. fence, but I think that's, a lot of news hype and mm-hmm. I'm allowed as a member of the media now as a mm-hmm. podcaster to pick on us uh-huh. bring the good stories forward yeah. and day by day and as growing up in Athens such wonderful folks that do they pay it forward mm-hmm. in some fashion whether it's helping or giving money I'm good I'm really glad to hear that and I know that excites you mm-hmm. when you go in and a day that can be frustrating turns into this marvelous thing that heals I love that evening for the healers. That's just a story. It's wonderful, wonderful. And I I don't know that I um, specifically said, but we bring um, both the patients um, to the event. They, of course, are at the event, and we bring about 70 healers in total onto the stage as well. And so the patients and their families get a moment to thank the healers. So, yeah. No, I had seen some photos. That's why I was going to ask that Mm -hmm. they get to come. The healers get to come, they get to be thanked. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes doesn't happen. I was reviewing with a friend of mine who's an ER physician by trade, and he said how often in an emergency room setting now, the physicians and nurses are sadly being screamed at, yelled at, attacked even. And I started out in emergency medicine in 1971 here in Athens, and then wound up in OBGYN and general medicine. But what a sad thought. You're mm-hmm. trying to help folks. And I know when people are in distress, sure. the emotions change. But that's a great thing to have mm-hmm. them there. Yeah. And, and that brings that wonderful lifting thing yes. in your heart for sure. Now, Katie, let's look. If you were talking, and I ask this question a lot of the folks I get the great delight to interview. If you're talking to a young person who's coming along, say, in college, early college, and they see you and they've known you and they watch you and what you do, how would you respond to them perhaps if they say, Katie, I really think I would like to do a career like yours, public relations, MBA, business, all of those kinds of things, but what would you say to them about, and and I'm not trying to pin you down again, Mm -hmm. the the good things that have happened to you, and then share maybe a thing or two that gives you pause about that. I think we all look back at a career and say we're delighted we did it, Mm -hmm. but what would you say to that young sophomore in college when they say, 
Help me decide. Yeah. So I would encourage any young person to find the career path that lights them up, that uses their natural skills and talents and aligns with the the void and the need of the world. And I know that there are very articulate and eloquent quotes to that same <laughs> vein, but truly I think it if you just listen to your inner knowing as it were, figure out what it is where your skills are and then just keep listening to to what can I, what are my opportunities? It really somewhat has to do with what's within your arm reach. Do you have a supportive network? Do you have cheerleaders in your corner? And I would venture to say most people do. I think, I think a lot of the schools try to have those counselors in place to say, here's, here are the opportunities um, that are available to you. Keep reaching for them because if you don't try, if you don't apply for those opportunities that are waiting for you to say yes, then things might not unfold for you. But if you keep reaching, if you keep listening to the place in yourself that really comes alive when you're able to give back with your skills and your talents, just keep listening to that and keep your eyes open for those opportunities that are just right in front of you. Do you get to have young people from college, can they do, I don't know, like an in-service sort of thing at the foundation? Do you do that kind of stuff? We don't have any positions currently, but I'm a big proponent of internships. I definitely encourage young folks to find internships that, again, align with the career path they want to take. And one skill that I promise has served me very well is the ability to answer the phone. That may not have been what you expected, but honestly, being able to answer the phone and be composed no matter who's on the other end of the line, that's a skill that I think internships can give young people. That's certainly what I experienced on Music Row in Nashville, of all places. Oh, it was it was a great experience oh. to have internships. And again, opened my eyes to, I don't fit on Music Row. I don't want to be on Music Row. But it was still a very valuable time to help me redirect. So that's that was one opportunity that was in front of me at Belmont, where I was able to get connected with a, a promoter, essentially, But from there, I said, this really doesn't fit with my fire on the inside. And of all places, I went to a a corporation. I went to Bridgestone (laughs) Americas from there, had some time there. I had a wedding planner that I interned for. And all of those real life experiences, whether it's an internship or a job, I think those are very valuable experiences, again, to help you hone in on what doesn't work, what does work, and just keep following your own path. You one thing that helped me free myself from the thought that I have to do everything just right, you really get stuck in that unless you realize that your life is going to unfold how your life is going to unfold. And it's not necessarily going to look like anyone else's. Um, so I would encourage young folks to embrace that and not get discouraged, um, you know, embrace that resiliency that we've all learned in the past few years, especially, um, and just keep walking your own path. So I love that. Yeah. Answering the phone. Answering the phone. (laughs) Answer the phone. Yeah. And I don't have to fool with that much, but you get thousands of emails a week, I'm sure, and things of that nature. And then 
in text, the new social media, not new, but all the developments. And it's hilarious because for us oldsters, answering the phone was always it. And I went through a situation, folks, recently trying to get some information on a patient that I'm helping, even in retirement, just discussing problems. Oh, it took forever. Mm. Ten weeks oh my goodness. before the physician responded. And the coordinator now for all physicians says, I will, how she say, I will reach out to him, which I guess meant send an email, which is fine mm-hmm. because he was busy. But in getting back, I, being relatively impatient, I've gotten better in my older years, thought surely he'll call me. And the whole point is, my thing is for years and years, forever, a five-minute discussion, mm-hmm. and I was allowed to call everywhere. Mm-hmm. I could call LSU, this is mm-hmm. Dr. Griffith, I need to talk to your director of X. You could talk to the other big places, Hopkins, Mayo, and it was great. We had that ability. They don't do that anymore, mm-hmm. and, and I understand. There may be liability scenarios in their mind, but this gentleman finally called me back. We had the most pleasant 25-minute conversation. Now, he is and perhaps the top 10 experts in his field in the country, Mm -hmm. a younger gentleman, and he couldn't have been nicer. And then the ultimate for the old guy is what? I got his cell phone number. (laughs) That was it, buddy. I was overjoyed with that. But you're absolutely right. Great advice. Answering the phone and being able to talk again on the phone in a good fashion. But I've just been so tickled to have you with me. And uh, as we hook up or if I get... Shreveport, or come see that beautiful little lady in a play in a couple of years (laughs) or whatever. It's going to be awesome. But Mm -hmm. anything else you'd like to add? I, you know, when it comes to my career path, I have had just a tremendous time, honestly. It's been a joy to be at the places that I've worked. And I never necessarily expected to end up supporting academic medicine, Mm -hmm. but I'm grateful to. So when I worked in events, we always tried to get to the yes with the patients. And in, in philanthropy, we try to make the, the philanthropist vision also align with the needs for the school and that kind of thing. But when it comes to my personal skill set, I knew I was never going to be a physician. Sciences were not where my skill set was at all. <laughs> and that's perfectly okay because there are other folks who can take care of that. But I'm so grateful for LSU Health Shreveport and, and the research component in particular. They have done tremendous things during the COVID times. They had a, a lab up to analyze all of the sequences and the COVID tests up in about 12 days um, after COVID hit the area. And my daughter had pneumonia twice before she was two. And so that was a really scary time to be a young mother with a worldwide pandemic going on and everything. And and so we actually enrolled her in the COVID trial for, for the little ones. And just so grateful to the entire team over there. And so then when I got the call to to interview for my current position, I went, wow, this is now a really beautiful scenario in which my skills can support the people who are making sure that um, we have a healthy population and more specifically who supported my daughter. So very grateful to be able to get back to those folks. What a wonderful union to do that. I agree a hundred percent. And we in the uh, public eye clearly need to depend on the researchers Mm -hmm. to give that to us. Once again, delighted to see you sis. 
And folks, as I say to everybody, I hope you have a safe and healthy day, and I'll see you a little further up the road.